Well, yeah, I am uh, fully aware that uh, today is Mother's Day, and I, and I know I know from a pastoral standpoint that traditionally pastors all over America preach sermons that are specifically geared to the honorees of this day. But God impressed upon my heart some time ago to think about my own mom and what she would want me to preach on Mother's Day. My mom was a, a wonderful lady. She was brilliant. I mean, had it been a different life, my mom would have had a PhD. Uh, she was brilliant. Uh, not perfect, but which of us are? Uh, she had some very specific tastes and desires. And my mother, my father was a pastor. My mother was not a fan of traditional Mother's Day sermons that spoke about the joys of motherhood because she was a fan of preaching that took us to the text and expounded God's word for all of us. So this one's for you, Mom. We Americans love our stuff. We love our stuff. Now, I'm just not making that as a general claim. I want to support that claim. You see, I went to the most recent statistics compiled by the United States self-storage industry. Did you know that if you took all the Starbucks in America and added them to all the McDonald's in the United States and added to that number all the Dunkin' Donuts franchises and then added to that all of the Taco Bells, and then piled on top of that all the Wendy's, there are more self-storage facilities in America than all of those fast food restaurants combined. There are 50,635 of all those restaurants combined, but there are 52,786 storage units. We love our stuff. Now, I get it. There are times very legitimate reasons to rent a storage space. You may be in between a move or other things like that. I get that. And yet, so many times, the fact is we rent a storage space because we've already filled our garage with our stuff and we need more space because we have more stuff in 2019, the self-storage industry reported a total income of 39.5 billion, with a B, billion dollars. Now, for you investor types, if you take the years 2010 to 2019, in that 10-year period, the self-storage industry revenue increased by 49 percent. That's incredible. Currently, there are 1.9 billion square feet of self-storage space in the United States. Now, you can't wrap your head around that. If you're a Chicago person, a Chicago land person, you know that we have this very, very big building downtown Chicago called the Merchandise Mart. The Merchandise Mart has four 
million square feet of space. It's one of the largest buildings in America, if not the world. It would take 475 merchandise marts to get that much storage space. We love our stuff. We are not unique. People have always loved their stuff. If you read about Solomon in 1 Kings and you look at all that he amassed in horses and wives and concubines and gold and silver, he loved his stuff. But today I want to take advice from my mom and maybe you took the same advice from your mom. There's a balance in learning how to stay, save and not be a spendthrift. And yet there's also what Jesus calls, or what I call Jesus' investment strategy. Now, take your Bibles this morning, if you have them, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, where we've been for some time, and turn to Luke chapter 12. And I want to read you a parable that Jesus told, and then a teaching that he gave out of that parable, and from this, we're going to learn God's investment strategy. And I will tell you right now, right up front, full disclosure, because people tell me, well, you know, sometimes you preachers, you give us just this ABC, everything is fine type of thing. Well, this is an ABC simple sermon. It's really God's investment strategy you're going to find is very simple, but very profound. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat drink and be merry but God said to him you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God then Jesus said to his disciples therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. 
They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now you're going to say, wow, this sounds very familiar to Matthew chapter 6. Well, that's because it is. Uh, Matthew 6, Jesus says this, especially the do not worry part, and it's tucked into what we call the Sermon on the Mount. But remember this, back when Jesus taught, there was no internet, there was no way to record, so oftentimes what he would teach in one area, he would teach in another. Remember too that Luke, writing much later, doing his own investigation about the life of Jesus, writing specifically to a man known as Theophilus, a, a, an official, Luke is arranging his investigation in a specific way. So Luke leads with the story of this very wealthy man who had a bumper crop and, and had so much grain that he said, man, what am I going to do with all this? Oh, I'll tear down, I'll build these bigger, bigger barns. I'll store it in and now my investment is secure. My income is secure. I can sell it as I need it. I can just kick back, I can relax, I can eat, drink, and be merry, and everything's going to be fine. And God says, you're such a fool. Because you don't know how long your life is going to last. And tonight, you're going to, you have an appointment, as it were. An appointment with the angel of death. And now what's going to happen to all this grain you set up, you, you kept it for yourself. So Jesus takes that and he teaches us and we learn and because the question is, so what does it mean? Jesus says here, this is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Well, what does it mean to be rich toward God? How can I be rich toward God? And Jesus gives us what I'm calling, and it's not original with me, God's investment strategy. And he begins by saying, do not worry. In fact, in these first few verses, verses 22 through 26, the word worry is used three times, and it's never used in a positive. The, the word that's translated worry is a word that elsewhere in the Bible has been translated anxious, encumbered by, weighed down. And Jesus begins with a command, do not worry. That really should be the end of it. If Jesus commands it, we need to obey it. This word worry, the way it's used here, tends to have a futuristic aspect. 
we sometimes regret and worry about the past and, oh, I wish I would have done this or that differently. But typically when we worry, it's the what ifs. What if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Oh, no. Well, what if? And they tell us that over 90% of what we worry about never comes to fruition anyway. Jesus uses a couple of word pictures here for us. The first one is, don't worry about where your next meal is going to come from. And the second is, don't worry about how you're going to be clothed. Why? Why should I not worry about these things? Because simply true, spiritual-centered, God-centered life is far more than food or clothing. It's not that food and clothing aren't important. It's just that they aren't the most important. So Jesus says, consider the ravens. Ravens, they're kind of dirty birds, you know. Consider the ravens. They don't go out and sow a field. They don't go out and reap it, but somehow they're always fed. Well, consider other birds maybe, the pesky ones, the sparrows. They always seem to have food. What about the pigeons? They always seem to have food. And if they don't, there's tuppence, tuppence. Tuppence a bag, a little Mary Poppins joke there. Uh, what about the seagulls? They seem to always have food. Which one of those birds, or which one of any other birds, is more important than you? And Jesus isn't saying the birds aren't valuable. They're creatures created by God. But which one is more important than you? So if God takes care of birds that really don't have a major impact on your life, don't you can think he can take care of you? So here's the first principle of God's investment strategy. God's investment strategy calls us to eliminate worry. We're to eliminate worry. Worry, Jesus says, will not add to your life. That's what he says. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? In fact, worry does the opposite. Worry takes away from your life. Health experts tell us that chronic worrying can affect your daily life so much that it may interfere with your appetite. It may interfere with your lifestyle habits, your relationships, your sleep, and job performance. Many people who worry excessively are so anxiety-ridden that they seek relief in harmful lifestyle habits. If you worry, you don't add to your life. So in essence, Jesus says, stop it. You know, it's that simple. Stop worrying. Oh, but Pastor Scott, I can't. And yet, if you're going to invest in eternity, if you're going to be rich toward God, you have to eliminate worry. But I can't, you say. And I say, is it can't or won't? And, you know, because I'm going to tell you, Jesus never gives us a command that he's not already given us all we need to obey it. Now, it's, it's Mother's Day. I've had many, many mothers tell me it's a mother's prerogative to worry. Let me caution you on that. 
Be very careful when you pit your perceived prerogative against God's clear command. Be very careful about that. You're basically saying, well, God doesn't understand mothers. <laughs> God created moms just like he created all of us. He understands. It's not a mother's prerogative to worry. I would say it's a mother's prerogative to teach her children not to worry, but to trust. One scholar wrote this, Worry is a mindset that actually denies God's ability to care. If God does not or cannot care for me, then I have to take care of myself. It minimizes God. He actually goes so far as to say, worry is not only foolish, but also godless. You and I need to invest in the kingdom of God so we can be rich toward God, but we had better not do that which removes God from the kingdom. Worry places my hope and my control on me. It is the complete opposite of trust in God. Just this morning, got onto Facebook, and I ran across a tribute from a friend. Her mother turned 91 years old this week, and she wrote a lengthy tribute to her mom. And the theme of the tribute, all the way through, every line was punctuated with this, but Jesus was with her all the way. Jesus was with her. She survived the Depression. She's, she ended up living in an orphanage, and it was in the orphanage where she actually met and put her faith in Jesus. She mourned the death of two husbands. She went through many other ups, downs, joys, and sorrows. And the tribute ended this way. If you happen to meet my mom today, she would tell you about her best friend, Jesus, who has never left her side. That is a description of a life that eliminated worry and put trust in God. God's investment strategy says eliminate worry, but Jesus isn't done yet. He's just getting started. Because as we eliminate worry, we need to add something. And so God's investment strategy calls us to eliminate worry and then to restructure our priorities. It's time, once you eliminate something, you've got to fill it with something, and the filling is restructure your priorities. So Jesus continues the word picture, and he says, consider how the wildflowers grow. You know, one of the things I love that's happened over the past several years Various places, when you're driving, various interstates and all, different places in the United States, at the, in the medians and in different places, they, they will plant wildflowers along the highway that are native to that region. There is just such a unique beauty to those wildflowers. They, and you ask yourself, what do those flowers do to be so beautiful? And Jesus says, nothing. They do nothing to be beautiful. He says, they don't labor or spin. Charlene recently made an amazing afghan for our eldest for her birthday. It is a work of art. It is this afghan that written into the pattern are books and coffee. 
and then down on the, let's see, you hold up, down on the, on what would be your right, on my right side, on the corner, there's uh, two books that she had to weave in, a black outline, and the books are different color. And then there's this pink coffee cup, and it definitely has a hazelnut latte in it, because one, that's our daughter's favorite from her father's influence, and two, in the cup, there's this creamy foam with a white heart in it. It's stunning. It is, it's beautiful. It took hours upon hours. Guess what? A wild flower can't crochet. It can't read a pattern. It doesn't have a job. It, has one, it does one thing. It grows and it dies. <laughs> That's it. It grows, little petals, looks beautiful, pff, dies. And God is saying, Solomon, the wealth of Solomon, he was not as well-dressed as wildflowers. So if God can clothe those wildflowers that have a very short lifespan, but he clothes them so beautifully, he will make sure that you are clothed. Because worry can't put clothes on your body. So Jesus says once again, don't worry. And then he goes on. He says, do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Don't be encumbered. Don't be weighed down with these things. Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Again, Jesus is not saying that food and clothing are, necess are unnecessary. He's not telling you to starve yourself and then run naked through the streets. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, readjust your priorities. Don't think God is uncaring about your needs by worrying about them. Don't look at your needs from a godless point of view. Make God your priority and he will take care of you. We had a friend, a pastor's wife friend named Rosemary. Rosemary and John had, what, 10 kids, I think? I mean, you know, once you get past nine, I lose count. Rosemary, and, and, and as a pastor, John wasn't making the big bucks and yet Rosemary told us so many incredible stories of God's provision. There was one time where her husband had invited a bunch of people over for Sunday dinner and she was wondering how she's going to take care of them. And she gets home just kind of thinking, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And the dog comes running in and somewhere along the way, the dog had, hit, right on his canine, had caught a string that was wrapped around some meat and brought meat home and she cleaned it up and fed it. Another time, another time without her permission, and I'm sure there were conversations about this, he invited the elder board home on a Sunday night to talk about some things. And, you know, you can't have the elder board sitting around your table without feeding them something. And she's looking and going, what do I have? To to, this is the elders. She looks in the in the fridge and she's got a couple dozen eggs and some bread 
So she quickly whips up an egg sandwich on toast, an egg and puts a sandwich on toasted bread with a little uh, egg done over hard, you know, and all. And she brings it and goes, John, would you, would you like an egg sandwich tonight? Oh, yeah, it'd be great. The other guy's, oh, I haven't had an egg sandwich in a long time. Boom, everybody had egg sandwiches. But what I learned from Rosemary is instead of worrying about this stuff, she made God her priority and then she saw the hand of God in so many ways. Jesus gives us a contrast here. He says, first of all, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Now here's an interesting observation. The word that is translated run, the pagans run after, is the same word that is translated seek. So the point Jesus is making, I think it's a little bit of our translators wanting to kind of give a little bit of nudge to that. The reality is they try to intensify the action. But it's the same word. It's the same word as set your heart in verse 29. The idea is not the action, but the object. When you seek after all these things, you're making them your priority. When you set your heart on things like food and clothing and all, you're making them your priority. But if you're going to restructure your priority, you're going to seek after what God seeks. These things, food, clothing, shelter, money, savings, hobbies, investments, 401ks, vehicles, all of them are part of life in one way, shape, or form. Jesus is not saying they're bad. He's not saying they're sinful. What he is saying is that when you make them the most important things in your life, then you're not eliminating worry When you make them the most important things in your life, you're actually eliminating God from your priority list. God becomes a subset. He becomes an afterthought. He becomes second place. But when you make his kingdom your priority, God makes sure you have everything you need when you need it. There's a marked difference between investing in God's kingdom and investing in yourself. But what does it mean? What does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? Well, to understand that, we have to understand what the kingdom of God is. And the kingdom of God, by definition, is the realm of God. The kingdom of God means that God is the ultimate ruler. So as the creator of every living creature, all creation is under his authority. And yet the true kingdom of God is within those who have decided that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose again on the third day, and they are putting their faith in him and him alone for their eternal future. And so as a result, they realize that I live in this world, but I'm under the authority of God, and I will be held accountable by God. And in fact, the reality is, as we've seen in the book of Revelation in our study, 
everyone, every government, every entity, every human will one day be held accountable to God. And the difference will be those who are held accountable to God and have not put their faith in Christ as opposed to those who are held accountable to God and have put their faith in Jesus. So what are we to seek first? How do we do that? We need to make sure our priorities are to be concentrated on striving to build and grow our relationship with God through faith. That begins with saying, I came into this world broken through sin. And I realize that I am only healed spiritually through Jesus. So when it comes to what I need, I have a new perspective. I'm not the provider anymore. God is the provider. God provides through very practical means. He enables me to get an education. He enables me to do a job. He enables me to earn a paycheck. He enables me to do very practical things, but ultimately, He's the provider. So as I seek Him first, as I put Him first in my life, I let Him determine what I need. Now, grant you, my needs in a suburban context in the U.S. of A. are very, very different than someone who might live in a rural community in the United States. But then all of those needs are very different than a brother or sister who lives in Uganda and has a, 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 lives in an African context. What, what their needs are are going to be different than my needs, but those needs are going to be very different than my friends who live in Spain as missionaries in a Spanish context, in a European context. God knows what you need in the place where he has put you. And the key to understanding that is to put his kingdom, his priorities first, and trust him with the rest. Now, for some of us, that's still a little bit nerve-wracking, isn't it? It feels a little irresponsible. It's like, I'm kind of out of control here. But that's what faith is. Faith is trusting God for the unknown. I admit, it's not the most comfortable thing because in my own flesh, I want to be in control. I want to know where my investments are. I want to know that the guy that I've hired to manage my investments is doing it right. I want to see that report coming quarterly and go, oh, hey, we're getting more money. You know, I want to be in control of that. I want to be in control of, of these things. I, I want to be in control of everything. And yet Jesus says, there's a way to relinquish control and build trust. And he gives us the third element of his investment strategy which is really kind of paradoxical. And that begins in verse, uh, verse 32, and it's simply this. God's investment strategy calls us to eliminate worry, restructure our priorities, and then to live generously. What? What? We move from don't worry to don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, little flock. You know, when you eliminate worry and you restructure your priorities and you decide to live in what we call faith, it can be frightening. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. I'm not to worry about food or clothing or shelter. 
Well, Pastor Scott, that's a little scary. Can I just ask you to eliminate that word from your Christian vocabulary? Seriously. Oh, Pastor, it's scary out there. It wasn't scary for my friend's 91-year-old mother who went through so much, and she said, Jesus walked with me every step of the way. So it's not scary because God is there. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Why? The Father's already given us the kingdom. Look at that. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Everything that God has as the ultimate creator, as the king of the universe, he has given to us. We have the kingdom. All of the kingdom resources are ours. All of the power of the Holy Spirit resides within those who believe. I have everything I need to live successfully for God right now. Not for what the culture says is successful, but what for what God says is success. I have it all. Jesus says, don't be afraid. So because you have the kingdom, you can live generously. And it is your generosity that is your investment into eternity. No earthly investment is 100% secure. Just turn the clock back to 2008 and you know that. No human investment is fully secure. In fact, every time they do an advertisement, they say something like, just remember that past success does not, does not guarantee future success. You know, all these disclaimers because, hey, folks, we really don't know what's going to happen. See, the rich farmer discovered that in the harshest of ways. He had more than enough grain to store and last. His retirement plan was set. He was in 100%. I'll build bigger barns. I'll never have to work again. I've got all this grain. Boom, he lost his life. He invested in himself and he never got to enjoy it. Jesus says, I want to turn your thinking upside down. I want you to know that if you trust me, you can live generously and you will have a greater sense of security when you live generously than when you hoard it for yourself. You will have a greater sense of purpose when you live generously than when you hoard it for yourself. You will have a greater sense of significance in the presence of God than if you hoard it for yourself because we are investing ourselves in the things that matter to God, the principles of his kingdom. What's that look like? Well, there's a great book that came out a few years ago. Uh, and, and through that book, I discovered a different way of explaining how to invest in the kingdom of heaven. The book is entitled, God and Money. The subtitle is, How We Discovered True Riches at Harvard Business School. It's written by two guys, John Cortines and Gregory Baumer, who went to Harvard Business School. And it was there as they were studying and everything, they realized Wow, there's a different way to live. And one of the, just one quote from the book simply says this A faithful reading of Scripture leads not to the question, How much should I give? but rather to the question, How much do I need to keep? These two guys were so different in their approaches to money. They graduated from college with these degrees that got them these very prestigious jobs. I mean, they could afford everything. One of the guys was a saver. 
And, and he saved and he invested and he and his wife saved and invested and, and he had a plan and, and he was going to retire at 45 years old and he was on his way to do that. Now the other guy, being millennials, was a spender, right? And he said, you know what, the best way for me to invest, I want to invest in experiences. I want to fly to Paris for 24 hours and have the best meal I can. I want, to, I want to go to Machu Picchu and I want to experience that. I want to experience everything I can while I'm young and I can do it. And they each came to the realization that they wrote in the book. I was thinking about how much should I give and still be able to do the fun things I want to do or how much should I give and be able to invest when I should have asked, how much should I keep? You see, they came to the realization that while the one guy had been a saver, and we all think saving is good, he had made savings his God. And the other guy had made his experiences his God. It was in studying the Bible on generosity that they realized how selfishly they were living. God wants us to be people of generosity. Not foolish generosity, some of us take this statement here. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fall, fail no, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And we read that and go, well, all right, I'm just going to get rid of everything and I'm going to go live a minimalist lifestyle. Well, if God tells you to do that, you go for it. But be careful not to make your God your minimalism. Be careful not to be proud and arrogant in your minimalism. Because remember, God is a God of balance. So what does Jesus mean? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. How, how do I do that? How do I do that and still put food on the table for my family? How do I do that? Let me put it this way. Let's, let me apply it this way. What if you and I made the decision this morning to never again see anything in my possession as mine? What if I decided today that I don't have a relationship that is mine? Now, I know I talk about my wife and she talks about my husband and all, but what if I said, this is the wife God has given me and I love her, I've loved her for almost 40 years, well, 42 years of dating, but she's still in God's hands. What about every possession? And that includes my golf clubs, people. What about every possession? Every family heirloom that you treasure. Every article of clothing in your closet and in your drawers and in your other closet that you save for winter. Every article of clothing. What about everything in your cupboards? Every, even the special china that you've had forever that was given to you as a wedding present. What if all of that, you said, this isn't mine anymore? What about you go into your garage and your tools, the table saw and, and, and the, the band saw and the drill press and, and the lawnmower and all the yard tools and everything you have in your garage? What about if everything you had for your hobby, whether whatever it is, what if you said everything, everything is God's? Nothing you and I have is actually ours. You see, if we truly believe what the psalmist says, the earth is 
the Lord's, and everything except the stuff in my storage unit. No. The, the earth is the Lord's and everything but my golf clubs. The earth is the Lord's and everything but my, my car that I restored and it's in the garage and it has a cover over. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If I really believed that, then I could live generously because I am not giving away my stuff. It's God's. It's because God allowed me to have it. But God allowed me to have it to use it for a time, but maybe somebody needs it more. So I have the freedom of saying, here, I want you to have this. I believe God wants me to, whatever it is, That's freedom. That's investing in eternity. Now, I could go on and on this morning and tell you story after story of how you cannot outgive God, but I want to leave you with just this. It's an oldie, but I think it's a good way to wrap this up. It was first written by a man by the name of Juan Carlos Ortiz, but it appeared many years ago in a book by Chuck Swindoll entitled Improving Your Serve. Listen, I want this pearl. How much is it? Well, the seller says, it's very expensive. How much, we ask? A very large amount. Do you think I could buy it? Oh, of course. Anyone can buy it. But didn't you say it's expensive? Yes. How much is it? Everything you have, says the seller. All right. I'll buy it. Well, what do you have? Let's write it down. Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good. $10,000. What else? Hmm, that's all. That's all I have. Oh, wait, wait. I have a few dollars in my pocket. How much? So we began to dig and look in our wallet. Let's see, 30, 40, 60, 80, 100. I have $120. That's fine. What else do you have? Well, that's it. Nothing else. Where do you live? In my house. Yeah, I have a house. Oh, that too. The house becomes mine. You mean I have to live in my camper? Oh, you have a camper? That too. What else? I'll have to sleep in my car. Oh, you have a car? Well, two of them. Well, both of them become mine, both cars. What else? Well, you have my money, you have my house, my camper, my cars. My, what more do you want? Well, are you alone in this world? No, I have a wife and two children. Well, then your wife and children too. What else? Well, I have nothing left. I'm left alone now. And suddenly the seller exclaims, Oh, I almost forgot. You, yourself too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, and you too. Then he goes on. Now listen. I will allow you to use all these things for the time being. But don't forget that they are mine. Just as you are. Whenever I need any of them, you must give them up because I am now the owner. That's the point. 
That's the point Jesus was making. God's investment strategy. Eliminate worry. It's not going to get you anywhere. Restructure your priorities and put God first in everything and in every relationship. And then just live generously because what you have is God's anyway. Be responsible with it. Take care of it. But remember that it's all his. And at any point in time, he can say, I need that. I need you to give that over here. I need you to let go of that relationship. As hard and as painful as it might be. Because it's all his. And I think that's what my mom wanted me to preach today. Let's pray. Lord, these are not easy things. They're simple to say. It's a very simple strategy. Eliminate worry, restructure priorities, live generously. Yeah, 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 we can say that. But then it comes down to doing it. And that's where we need your help. So give us the strength and the courage to be able to do what you tell us to do. Because you have filled all who believe in Jesus with the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. So we can be obedient. We can eliminate worry. We can restructure priorities. We can live generously because you have given us all we need to do that. May we live generously putting you first this week in Jesus' name. Amen.